Uh, good morning. I, uh, I was just saying, I gave 17 golf lessons, one-hour golf lessons in the last uh, two days, so I, I'm going to sit down a little bit up here. It's not because I'm not excited to be here, though, uh, but I might sit a bit. Let me, let me pray. And pray, Lord God, thank you for this morning. Uh, we come uh, grateful, and God, we're grateful for your presence in our midst, and we're grateful for being able to come before your throne and worship like we've done this morning. We thank you for the baptisms uh, that took place and the ripple effect that will go throughout the lives of those uh, folks and families and friends, and we pray your deepest blessing upon them as they continue their walk with you. God, we're grateful this morning that we have health, that we have this building to meet in. Uh, God, I saw people come this morning and um, on buses and some with drivers, some driving their own cars, some on bicycles. I saw some people walk in the church this morning. And God, every one of us are grateful that we had to come to a place to come to and to gather uh, in your name. And uh, so we go forth this morning in your name, trusting in your presence, trusting you're at work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, when someone comes up front enough and talks, you really get to know a lot of their story. And um, I have another confession to make about my life. Um, my confession today is that I am an aphidiophobiac. I'm an aphidiophobiac. Does anybody know what that is? Some of you look nervous, so <laughs> I better tell you what that is. An aphidiophobiac is a person who's afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. Anybody else an aphidiophobiac in here? Like, I'm not afraid of snakes. Like, like I'm not like, you know, oh, no, there's a snake. It's like, if there's a snake, ah, like I complete, when I see a snake move, I completely panic, right? Um, so I'm from New York in America where we don't really have snakes, but I lived for a long time in Florida. Just before my family moved to China, we were living in Florida where snakes grow on trees. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, right? And so... We had a house with a yard, and not too long before we moved here, it was a Saturday morning. It was very hot in Florida. Florida's very hot, uh, probably 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and, uh, and I was raking leaves, and the way I would do it is I would rake a pile of leaves, and then I would pick the leaves up and put them into a big black trash bag that I would then put out on the street. You know, you, some of you have done that kind of thing, right? So I had done three or four bags. I was really hot. I had done a, got another pile ready. I thought, I'm just going to go inside and get something to drink. Right, so I walk inside, I get a cold drink, and I come back out to go to work, and I drop down on my knees, and I stick my arms into the pile like this, and no exaggeration, like no exaggeration at all, a four-foot snake has curled up on top of the leaves. So my face is about this far from the snake, right? And so I see this snake, and I'm down on the ground, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this before, but like, I screamed, right? I mean, appropriate response, but I didn't scream from my vocal cords, have you ever done that? I screamed from somewhere down here, right? And it came out like this, you know? And I didn't even know I could make that kind of a noise, right? So, so I make this scream, right? And I remember the snake, and I remember this, but I don't remember how I got four feet in the air. But all of a sudden, I was up in the air, and I landed on the ground, and I just, this instinct I had, I had to get away from the situation. So I turned to run to my back porch, where I've got this like plastic table, like, you know, you sit out with plastic stuff. And, and I turned to run, but now I've scared the poor snake to death, right? So the snake is also trying to exit the situation. And he's going parallel to where I'm going, right? So I think he's coming after me to eat me, right? I think he's going to eat me. So I'm running, and the snake's moving, and I scream again because, ah! And the table's here, and I just, I have to get my feet off the ground because of the snake. And I jump up, and I land 
on my plastic table like this, right? Now, in case you didn't already know this, this might be the place where you want to take notes. Plastic tables do not hold the weight of a full-grown man, okay? So I hit the table about this high. It immediately snapped in half, and it sounded like someone shot a rifle. And again, like, I'm not, there's no, there's no exaggeration here, right? So the table, boom, it breaks. I drop, I cut both of my knees, I cut my elbow, and I fell and I rolled, and the table snapped in half, and it folded over on top of me. And one of the legs to the table had come loose, and it rolled, and it bumped my ankle, and I thought it was a snake. (laughs) This is all true. I wish it wasn't. And I screamed, this blood-curdling scream for the third time, right? (laughs) While I'm laying on the ground with the table over me, right? Now, I live in a neighborhood where other human beings are, right? (laughs) And this is no kidding. I have, at the time, a 72-year-old neighbor across the street that we're friends with, And he comes running across the street into my backyard with a shovel. And he's running with a shovel because he thinks I'm being eaten by a pack of wolves, right? So this guy's going to save my life. No kidding. My neighbors on the other side, we had a fence. And three teenagers jumped the fence from the other house. They were born and raised there. And there's a lake back there. So there was always snakes around, right? And these guys run over. One of them had a gun. Because these guys are ready to defend me, right? So they come over. And this guy's like, what is it? What is it? And I'm under the table. And I'm like, snake, you know? So the snake is in the bush, and these guys have grown up in Florida. And this is like the most harmless, you know, defenseless little creature, this little black racer. They eat bugs, and, and they looked at that snake, and they looked at me, and they thought, they were like, this guy's the biggest sissy. You know, guy puts his gun back in, they walk away. It's, it's the real reason we moved to China. <laughs> I, I, I had to leave. <laughs> I had to leave. I couldn't stand the humiliation any longer. So I, I, I start with a bit of a silly, true, but funny story. But just to say, you know, we're all afraid. We all have fear in our life, you know, and a fear of a snake is one thing. Um, but then there are deeper fears that we have. And we also have to recognize that there's an enemy in our life that wants to keep us afraid. And above all else, he wants to keep us from ever getting a vision of who we are in Christ, fully redeemed. The enemy's full-time job after you've come to faith in Christ is to keep you afraid, to keep your visions and sights small when God's got this brand-new picture of who you are in Christ and who I am in Christ. You know, I did a little little research on this because I like this kind of stuff. Um, There's so many things that we're afraid of as human beings. There's, There's things, in English, it's called a phobia. They're official, medically documented um, categories that people are afraid of. Um, one, one that most people would know is called agoraphobia. Agoraphobia is a person who's afraid of being in a crowd. And it's very normal, you know, and people deal with that. Um, but then there's some that I thought were kind of funny. There's one called uh, clinophobia. Uh, clinophobia is the fear of chins. And I don't know quite how that works, but there's actually a category where people are afraid of chins. Right? I don't get that. Um, but the, the funniest one I thought was homilophobia. Homilophobia is the fear of sermons. No kidding. It's in a medical <laughs> journal. So hopefully nobody develops that over the next, you know, few minutes here. But homilophobia, right? So those are funny. But then the one that really caught my attention is one called phobophobia. Phobophobia. And phobophobia is the fear of being afraid. And it's funny for a second, but then it's actually really sad. Because God has designed our life to be victorious and overcoming and joyful and hopeful. 
And yet the enemy can so trap us or someone around us that we can be so fearful that we're afraid of being afraid. Right? And God wants to rescue you from that. He wants to rescue me from that. And he wants to use us and he wants to use this ministry to rescue people from that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how does God walk someone through a place of fear and having no vision in their life and move them into all that God's called them to be. So to do that, we're going to look at a guy named Gideon. It's a story many people might know. It's in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. The book of Judges takes place from 1400 B.C. down to about 1050 B.C. And I think that after we go through this story, if you've never read the Bible, you're going to go, wow, I want to go read the book of Judges. So I have to give you a disclaimer. If you've never read the Bible and you jump into Judges, Judges is a wild book, right? Some of you have read it, right? Judges has some stuff that you can't believe is in there. And you go, how could this be a part of the story? Wow, because there's a lot of human depravity in the book of Judges. Um, And the only way to understand the book of Judges is to understand what it says about itself. Judges 21, 25 says this. um, In those days, the days of the Judges, Israel had no king. So the people did whatever whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that's kind of what sums up the story. And what's happening when we come to the story of Gideon is it's about 250 years after Moses has delivered the Israelites out of captivity to Egypt. They've come into the promised land, and they were thriving under some of their leadership. Um, and then a point came where Israel turned their back on God, turned their back on God way, God's ways. And as a result, God's hand of protection was removed, and, and, and the nation started to suffer. And by the time we come to Gideon, they were under severe oppression from their enemy neighbors. Uh, the main one in the story today is the Midianites. And the Midianites were a cruel and oppressive people. Um, and the story tells us that, that every time crops came to bear fruit in, Israelites, in Israel, the Midianites would come in and take all the food. And the Israelites were left to practically starve and just try to find a little food here and there. The, the, the Midianites were so cruel that when they swarmed into the land, the Israelites would leave their homes and go into the woods and go into the mountains and hide in caves because these people were so cruel. And this is where Israel's at. This is a part of what Gideon is living through as, he comes, as we come to his point in the story. And uh, so when we find Gideon, the first place we meet him is he's in a hole in the ground. He's in a wine press. A wine press would be dug in a valley. So you'd go down to the valley, then dig a hole, then go down in the wine press, step on the grapes, all that stuff. Well, Gideon's hiding there when we meet him. Not a very courageous place to meet him. But let me just stop right here and say this because... Um, I think you know this already, but we don't do like history lessons here, right? Like this isn't a history lesson that we're about to do. You're not going to take notes on Gideon and go, wow, Gideon's, that's a neat story. I'm going to name my cat Gideon, you know, or something like that, right? This isn't Gideon's story. This is my story, right? This is your story, so pay attention. This is your story and how God works in your life. Um, So Gideon, here's how we find him. We'll We'll just read this. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, had been threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So when youth would thresh grain at this time, you'd usually do it up in a higher place because the wind would blow the chaff. You would take the, take the, the grain of wheat, you know, and you would separate the chaff from, the, from what was, was healthy and good to eat. And the wind would blow the chaff away. But Gideon was so afraid of the Midianites that he went down into the valley and down into a hole and he was hiding so that he could try to get a little bit of food without it being stolen 
by the Midianites. And in the midst of that, the angel of the Lord comes. In the next verse, Judges chapter 6, verse 12, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, just can you picture that for a minute? Let me see a couple of you smile as you picture that, so I know you're picturing this. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Right? Gideon's a young man. He's hiding in a hole. He's afraid of everything. As you learn more of his story, he comes from a family that doesn't know God, from a culture with no leadership. And he's had nobody to model a successful life for him or truly knows how to follow God. This guy's got no clue on how to go forward in his life, and he's hiding in a hole. And the angel of God comes and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. It's one of the funniest verses in the whole Bible to me. Cracks me up. In another, in another version in English, it says, Valiant warrior. You know? And Gideon's like, You know, valiant warrior. Where's the valiant warrior? You know, is he going to hurt me? Where? Valiant warrior. You know what God was doing for Gideon? And you know what God does for you and I? Is he does not look at us and see us for who we've been in the past. Because God knew Gideon's past was a past of false worship in his family. And God didn't look at Gideon in that moment and say, Gideon, this moment defines your life. Right? And God will never define your life by a moment where you were in a pit, where you were in a hole, and where you were visionless. God will only define your life and my life by who we are in Christ, fully redeemed. And when God looked at Gideon in that moment, he said, mighty hero. He was saying, this is who you truly are. I don't care who you think you are. I know who you are when your life is fully yielded to me. And if you don't remember anything else about the message, I know you're going to remember the snake thing because you're going to make fun of me later. But if you remember nothing else, remember that point. God sees us for who we are fully redeemed. And he had a calling on Gideon's life, and God's got a calling on your life. Whether it's in your family or your workplace or your school or a nation, God's got a calling for you. But Gideon's afraid, and he's hiding, and the angel of the Lord has come to him. And Gideon kind of pushes back a little bit. Gideon looks around, and he says, what are you talking about? He says, I'm not a, I'm not a mighty hero. What, what, what in the world are you, what are you talking about? You know, and God goes on to, to build into him, and we're going we're gonna to look through that in the next few minutes. But what I'd like you to do now, just for a minute, is I would like you all just to humor me, because I, like I don't like just hearing my voice. It, it, it bores me. So I, I like to hear you guys a little bit. I would like everybody to go like this. It's a two-step process. Go like this, and then look at the person next to you and say, wow. Could everybody do that, please? Just thank you. All right. Okay. You know what C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis is a, he's a writer. What C.S. Lewis said about believers in Christ, he said, if we could see each other as we really are in God's eyes, we would be tempted to worship. Now, certainly we don't want to take that verse the wrong way. But in the right context, understand, you are designed and created in the image of God. I found a cartoon just last week on the Internet. I wasn't even looking for it, and this thing popped up. I think it's great. Isn't that great? So, so if, if anybody's needing to update your resume, you might want to stick that on there. You know, I was made in the image of, formed and fashioned in the image of God, right? You're amazing. You're created after the image of God. And God knows that. And the enemy of your life knows that. And he wants to keep you from ever getting that vision of yourself. <clears throat> so we go along and 
Gideon basically says, God, what are you kidding me? Look at me. I'm hiding in a hole. I have no future. I have no strength. I have no influence. What are you talking about, mighty hero? You know, Gideon's, Gideon's basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm having trouble paying my rent this month. You know, I can barely keep food on the table for my family. You know, I, I don't have much education. I wish years ago I had invested more in my education, but I didn't understand the importance of it. I have no education. I have no presence. So therefore, I have no future. And God says, Gideon, you're completely wrong. You're completely wrong. So it goes on in verse 15, chapter 6. Gideon continues to push back, and he says, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Do you see this poor guy? Do you see how defeated life has made this guy? He says, listen, my family is so unimportant. Nobody notices my family. And not only is my unimportant family unimportant, but I'm the most unimpressive person in my unimportant family. That's tragic. It's the enemy's work. Right? Guys, there's people out in this city where we work, where we get in cars every day who are walking through their life that way because they believed a lie about who the enemy says they are. And God's saying to every one of us, would you get out there and tell them the truth? There's another message. Bless you. So Gideon's got no self-esteem. And I don't know who you are. I don't know what your story is. I know my story. You know some of my story. Um, Something has happened in your life that has damaged your view of yourself whether it's a moral failure or a business failure or just some general sense that you're not enough for whatever reason. Um, And it's not true. So I'll just tell you a story. I like like funny stories. So a true story to illustrate the point. Um, In America, baseball is the big game, right? And if you don't know baseball, you know, there's a guy that throws a ball and then there's there's an opposing guy that hits the ball and the the pitcher tries to keep the hitter from hitting the ball. So one of my friends was one of these guys. He was a pitcher in major leagues in baseball told a great story about another pitcher who was really struggling with his pitching. Um, every time he pitched, the other guys would get a hit. And uh, it just, you know, he was in a slump, you'd call it. So he worked with the team psychologist, and the coach was pumping him full of positive thoughts. And he got to go out and begin a game, which is a big deal. He was a starter in a game, and it was a night game, and it was a weekend. And they were playing the game in an opposing city. Um, and so when you play in an opposing city, you know, it's entertainment. So if, if the home team does something good, they shoot fireworks off, right? Big celebration. So the pitcher, he gets in there the first inning, and he throws a pitch, and the first batter hits a home run, which is really bad for the pitcher, right? Especially in the evening on the away team's home soil. Because when he hit the home run, 30,000 people did the wave. You guys know the wave, right? I feel like we should do the wave in church once in a while, you know? So they do the wave, and as they do the wave, and the batter's running around, his celebration lap running around, the, the, the stadium shoots off fireworks for like, you know, a minute and a half, boom, 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 you know, and... The whole time the pitcher just stands there, just shoulder slumped, head down. Maybe you've had something in your life that's caused you to feel that way, right? So finally everything settles down. The next batter gets up. They give him a new ball because the other one's gone. The guy hit it so far, right? <laughs> Takes the ball, and the very next pitch, the very next batter hits a home run, right? Poor guy's standing there. The fireworks go off. The wave's going on. You know, this guy's like this. And as it's wrapping up and this other guy's finished his run, the coach for the pitcher's team walks out 
to the pitcher's mound. He, he walks toward him. Now, if you don't know baseball, what that means is when the, pitch, when the coach walks out to the pitcher, he's going to say, it's not your day. Come on, take a shower. We'll get another guy in there to pitch. And so, but this pitcher's like, you're not taking me out. So he walks over and he meets the coach halfway and he says, coach, you are not taking me out of this game. Nobody else is going to get a hit on me tonight. You know, and the coach said, whoa, 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 would you just calm down? He said, we are not going to take you out of this game. I just want to make sure these people have enough time to reload their fireworks. Right? <laughs> so I like stories and I like laughter because it balances, you know, sometimes some heavy truth that we're dealing with. But there's something in your life that's caused you to not see yourself as God sees you. If you're carrying shame and guilt and you're a follower of Christ and you're carrying something that you don't have to carry, but the enemy would love you to keep carrying it. Gideon thought he wasn't qualified to heed God's call. And God said, you're more than qualified. The kingdom of God is filled with people who feel underqualified, who are doing great things in him. Right? So, the story goes along. Gideon says, hey, I can't do this. No way. My family's nothing. And then verse 16, so important. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. The Lord said, Gideon, I'll be with you. Right? That's what we need to always remember. The Lord's always with us. Romans eight thirty one says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Telling you guys, God is for us. We've got to have a view of that. So Gideon's story, we're just getting started. He's still in this hole while he's having the conversation, right? But Gideon decides, okay, I'm going to follow God. I guess I've got nothing to lose. So he takes a step of faith. And as I summarize the story, Gideon has a private moment where he really commits his life to God. And most of us in this room have had that moment privately where we've said, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And what God does, as soon as Gideon does that, God comes to him and basically says, Gideon, before we move any further, you've got to get the, the, the spiritual life of yourself and your family right. And God sets about on a course to have Gideon correct the false worship that's going on in his home. And if you have a vision of wanting to do something great for God, um, it's going to start in your own personal walk. As a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a student. And then God's going to have it filter out to the people closest to you. And as we submit to him and we walk with him in more and more holiness, then the influence he can have through you is bigger. And that's what Gideon saw. Gideon went through a whole series of events where he stepped out in faith. He was afraid, but he stepped out in faith and God honored him. And he grew stronger in the midst of it. And so we kind of move along in the story. And Gideon gets to the place where it's time to go off to war. See, he's been growing. He's been following God. He's been stronger as a leader. And finally, it's time to go fight the Midianites. The Midianites are over 100,000 warriors, right? And Gideon's got 32,000 fighting men that he's gathered, and he's leading them. And they get together, and it's time to go attack the Midianites. And God comes to Gideon, and he says, uh, Gideon, you've got too many men. You know, you, they've got over 100,000. You've got 32,000. You've got too many men. Have you ever felt like God stacked the odds against you? <laughs> you know? And Gideon's like, you know, he's already afraid with 32,000 men that they're going to get wiped out. And everybody that's following him is afraid. And then Gideon, as a leader, goes and says, guess what, guys? Um, we have too many men. If anybody's afraid, you can go home. Right? And he's probably standing there like this, like, please, nobody go home. Nobody go home. And 22,000 men said, I'm afraid, and they went home. So Gideon's got 10,000 men now, right? And Gideon's like, I don't understand this. God, this makes no sense. But Gideon is growing in his confidence in God to the place where he says, I'll do it. 
Even though I don't understand it. God, I'll move to Beijing even though I don't understand it. God, I'll start this or that ministry or small group even though I don't understand it. Right? And he takes the step and they're going along and Gideon's saying, you guys follow me, do what I do. And God comes to Gideon and he says, hey, uh, Gideon, um, you got too many men. Right? If you know the story, if you don't know the story, this is what happened. God said, you, you got 10,000 men, it's too many. Because if you win the battle with this many men, you'll think you did it in your own strength. And you'll forget that I'm the one that's leading the charge. And so ultimately, Gideon goes to war with 300 men. How do you think that felt? Isn't that amazing? Gideon goes to war with 300 men. 300. 300 men. And uh, the last verse I'll read, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Gideon's got his 300 men. They're outside the camp of the Midianites. And it says, during the night, the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. And then God says this. But if you're afraid to attack, and then goes on, God goes on to give him several steps to take to reassure him that God's actually in it. And I love that all through Gideon's story, it started out with him being afraid and being a little less afraid, a little less afraid, a little less afraid. But God knows he's still afraid. And God knows I'm still afraid about some of the stuff that might go on in my life. But God reassured Gideon that he was in it. Hey, don't, don't think fear disqualifies you from service. You know, br- bravery is just, you know, doing it anyway, right? And when you really know God, you, there's, there's no reason to be afraid. So God does it, and of course we know what happens, right? Israel wins the battle in a major way. Gideon leads the charge. They have one of the great victories in all the Bible. And it's unforgettable. And the people are so amazed by Gideon that at the end of the story, the people come to Gideon and they say, Gideon, we're making you our king. We just decided. You're going to become our king. And not only are you going to be our king, but when you die, your son's going to be our king. And then when he dies, your grandson's going to be our king because Gideon's the man, Gideon. And you see what happened? Gideon became a mighty hero. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I don't even think he knew it was happening. And all of a sudden, now everybody saw him the way God had seen him in a pit earlier. Right? But, of course, Gideon had a great perspective because he had watched God walk him through every step of the way. And Gideon said, no, no, you've got it all wrong. He said, I will not be your king. The Lord God is our ruler and our leader, and we will follow him. And uh, I, I love Gideon's story because it gives me hope and it gives me perspective that God's right in the middle of my life with me. And he's right in the middle of your life with you. And he's got a purpose and a calling beyond what you could imagine in his kingdom. And I think about Gideon's story, and I wonder what Gideon would have missed. You know, if Gideon just said, hey, I can't do this. You know, God would have found another Gideon, right? God's got no trouble finding someone that's empty and broken and saying, just let me live my life through you, right? But think of all that Gideon would have missed if he didn't follow the voice of God in his life. I love it. It's a great story. It encourages me. I hope it encourages you. God's got a calling on your life. God's got a purpose that's bigger than yourself, that's exciting and terrifying outside of him. Right? And we don't go from where we are to that. But we just take the next step. What's the next step that you can take with God 
to bring more healing into your life, to bring more vision into your life, to do the next ministry thing that God's called you to do. Just the next step. And once you get to that next step, God just says, okay, now we'll take the next step. Now we'll take the next step. That's how it works. And God gets all the glory. And we get to go along. And I love it. I love it. So let me, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll be done. We'll, uh, we'll, after the service here, when I'm done praying, if you'd like to come forward for prayer, comments, questions, you can do that. And I uh, just have a great week. But let me just pray, and we'll, we'll be done. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for um, meeting us where, where we need you to meet us the most. And I like, I like laughter, I like lightheartedness, but, but deep inside this other stuff swirls around and it's, it's the real stuff of life. And God, we've all walked in here with the real stuff of life. And uh, we're not too proud or too strong to say that we don't need you. Um, actually, we even say we're desperate for you. And uh, God, thank you that uh, your grace meets us abundantly where we are. And so I pray for everyone in this room, God, everyone that's a part of this community. Uh, that you would meet them today, that you would heal them today, that you would encourage them today, that you'd envision all of us today, God, as individuals and as a church, who you're calling us to be in this season, this time of our life. That we have no illusion other than that you are the King, that you are the Lord. And we willingly submit and we follow you. God, show us as a community more of what that means and what it looks like. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great day. And uh, we're up front if anybody wants to come up.